Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf. I am in Rhode Island on America's scenic Atlantic coast during the last week of summertime here. Um, in Vermont, enjoying the Vermont uh, summer as the oxycodone turns to oxycontin in the trees is <laughs> Dave, David Sanger, um, who is, uh, I don't know, in his car parked on some scenic street, I think. Um, in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, um, is Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University. And in Panama is the Atlantic Council's somewhat ill, but nonetheless lucid, uh, <laughs> Evelyn Farkas. You're still lucid, right, Evelyn? Yes, I promise. Okay. So, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about something that has become a trend within um, Trump foreign policy. Um, and that is, and it's not something I've ever seen really before, which is, announcing that deals are done when the negotiations haven't even really started yet and thus putting yourself in a in a just a terrible negotiating position because the other side knows now you're sort of on the hook for the deal and we see this all the time but recently this week we've seen two examples one the president holding a kind of low comedy press event to announce a U.S.-Mexico deal, which is not actually a deal, isn't even a preliminary deal, has some elements of what be considered an agreement in principle to a renegotiation of NAFTA, which didn't include Canada, which is a party to the deal, doesn't involve the input of the Congress, who needs to approve it, or the business community, anything. But the president's like, yay, we had a breakthrough, just like he did a couple of weeks ago with the Europeans um, on a European deal, which was not a deal. Uh, more consequentially, perhaps, um, we have Mike Pompeo one day, a couple of days ago, saying, I've got this new North uh, Korean envoy, a guy named Steve Began, uh, who's a very high quality guy, a good choice, and we're gonna go and we're gonna continue our North Korean negotiations. And then the next day, the president says, um, no, we're not going to do that. And then it turns out there was a letter from the North Koreans which said this was not going well. Uh, then Defense Secretary Mattis says, we're going to go ahead with our military exercises, which the president had a couple of months ago canceled. Um, and so, you know, surprise, surprise, it turns out that President Trump's big foreign policy success at Singapore was complete bullshit. Um, and 
you know, that that he 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 seems, you know, he's taken George Bush, you know, declaring mission accomplished and and he's he's taken it to the, you know, sort of reductio ad absurdum extreme of 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 announcing success, you know, before he's even begun to work. David, you've spent a ton of time in dealing with North Korea issues. Am I exaggerating this? Well, you've forgotten one big key point, David, which is that this is entirely the the um, fault of the press, because uh, at the time that he signed his Singapore deal, we all made the point that um, it, that Kim Jong Un was less specific about what denuclearization had been would be than he had been in past agreements that had fallen apart with. Uh, President Bush, President Clinton, so forth and so on. And what we ended up being told was that we um, were doing far too little uh, along the way to uh, appreciate the scope of his success. Now, it turns out, he's sort of where we were several weeks ago. Kind of remarkable. You, you mean like you were reporting the facts? Well, we were reporting that the North Korean... Uh, agreement was not only going nowhere, but that a simple look at satellite photographs and so forth would tell you that the program was continuing and that when the president declared coming out of the Singapore summit that there was no longer a nuclear threat from North Korea, that he was perhaps being a touch premature. Now what happens? They get this um, letter uh, from Mike Pompeo's negotiating uh, partner in uh, North Korea and from the best I understand, it says in it, essentially, you have to take the next step of declaring that the uh, Korean War is over and that we're on the way to a peace treaty before we'll even consider step one of denuclearization, which would simply be a declaration of what, how many weapons they have, where they are, what their production facilities are, how many missiles they have, how many missile carriers, these mobile carriers. And it was became pretty clear to President Trump that he was about to send Mike Pompeo over for another failed follow-up mission, which is what happened about a little more than a month ago. And uh, so he pulled the plug. So now the question is this. Does the president give up and basically say, I was wrong, I was premature, uh, there is right now no nuclear deal, and what's more, there may be a continuing nuclear threat? I don't think those are words in uh, Donald Trump's vocabulary. Or does he continue to hold out, as he seemed to the other day, that he's got a fabulous relationship with Kim Jong-un. It's just the rest of North Korea that's being recalcitrant. Uh, as if they didn't believe that Kim Jong-un uh, was in charge of everything that's going on here. Well, you know, Evelyn, it, you know, one of the things that strikes me as I, as I was reading about this letter was that the North Koreans said, if you don't do this, we're going to start testing again. And I think that, you know, this really must have brought up Trump short because he's been making the case, well, you know, there's no more right. threat and they can destroy that myth, you know, in an instant, launch one missile, um, uh, et cetera. And, and, and so they are revealing this 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 critical flaw in the Trump approach. They've got the leverage. They've now got all the leverage. They 
he Trump is the one who's no matter what they do to exert their leverage, he's going to look like a baboon, which he looks like. Well, um, he gave, yeah, because he gave away a bunch of leverage right at the outset. I mean, with this crazy meeting with them, that in and of itself, you know, recognize North Korea, put the United States and North Korea on the stage at the same time. You know, we've never had an American president meet with the head of the North Korean government. So that that in and of itself was a sitting American president. We know Bill Clinton went later and had a sourpuss face when he met with Kim Jong Kim Jong Il. But you know, the, the 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 issue now is that we have given up much of our leverage and now our allies are getting alarmed and scrambling and we don't have a good united front with our allies to say nothing of the fact that of course the Chinese and Russians all along have been resisting the maximum pressure mainly through sanctions on North Korea. So the entire policy looks pretty bad. And the North Koreans, yes, they are sitting um, high on the hog or whatever, you know, um, in the catbird seat or whatever little um, euphemism or, or um, uh, phrase you want to throw out there. They, I, I mean, I think what the president needs to do right now is get Pompeo and Steve um um, whom I know well, Steve um, Began. I never know how to pronounce his last name. Began. Anyway, Began, thank you. Um, uh, who, by the way, also is quite an expert on Russia um, and a, a serious, uh, sober-minded individual. Uh, get them in a room to come up with a, with a real negotiating strategy. But it has to be backed up with leverage. And that means we have to be on the same page with our allies Again, you know, Japan just came out with their white paper, their defense white paper. They said that the North Korean nuclear program is an urgent threat to Japan. Yeah, by the way, I would encourage all of you to go look at the story that broke today in the Washington Post from my former colleague, John Hudson, uh, and another of the Post writers about how Trump uh, in a with with the real diplomatic finesse that he's come to be known for, uh, in a meeting with the Japanese Prime Minister, uh, referenced Pearl Harbor as an example of how you could how the Japanese deal with us, and that Trump knew that. Um, and you know, you just sort of think, oh, now you know, no no wonder the United States has a complicated relationship with Japan at the moment. Well, I don't think now is the moment to bring up Pearl Harbor, um, especially when um, really the threats are coming from elsewhere. But anyway, the, the main point is that that the, the Japanese are seeing it very clearly and they're alarmed. And the South Koreans also see the problem, but they're taking a completely different approach, which is, you know, trying to to minimize the threat and trying to use the, you know, sunshine policy, the kind of um, let's have more conversation and see if we can draw North Korea out and draw them closer. Neither approach is going to work without the United States, you know, involved and leading the way. And, and then, of course, there's, of course, the issue of bringing the international community in back into the game and applying pressure on North Korea. So, you know, Rosa, it, this creates a kind of a unsettling possibility. And by the way, it's unsettling with North Korea. It's unsettling with Iran. It's unsettling with trade deals with uh, NAFTA. It's unsettling with trade deals with the Europeans. And that is Trump goes, gets ahead of himself, announces something big. 
uh, tries to get credit for it. Um, typically following, by the way, saber rattling and trying to be a tough guy. Um, and he then said, you know, first he rattles the saber, says I'm a tough guy. Except with Russia. Right. Except, well, that's a sweet generous. And then he comes back and he says, oh, I solved the problem. Yay for me. And then it turns out he hasn't solved the problem. And you can only just imagine how John Bolton or Peter Navarro on the trade side then sort of sidle into the Oval Office and say, see, I told you so, boss. And the only way you can save face is by coming down hard on these bastards. Let's do what I said with North Korea. Let's do what I said with Iran. Let's do what I said with China. Let's do what I said with you know, the Europeans. More tariffs, more conflict, more tension. Um, be- because not only has Trump given up negotiating leverage with our overseas rivals or, 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 or allies in some cases, but he's also given it up internally uh, and played into the hands of, you know, the kind of bomb-throwing nutcases who are at the most extreme fringe of his advisors, um, but but are growing in influence. <laughs> yes, when you put it like that, David, it just I just feel so cheered. <laughs> The yeah, only thing, actually, that I do find slightly cheering is that this must be intensely irritating to people like John Bolton that they have to deal with all this. But and that's but, sort but of Bolton probably consoled. also figured out that all he had to do was sit back and wait, and the right, Koreans right. would help him out. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean this. Uh, on there is there is some level on which this is part of the learning process for most new presidents who don't have a foreign policy background, right? That that you know you come in thinking it's all going to be easy. All those other people, you know, in the past, they just didn't understand it. They don't have the good instincts I have, and you you know you you think you're going to solve every problem, and then you discover that it's all much more complicated than that. So you know, and so, so to some extent, that's a kind of a standard pattern at the beginning of administrations. Um, you know, in the first couple of years of administrations. But obviously, you know, Trump, as usual, brings uh, uh, fact resistance um, and information resistance and wishful thinking uh, and and self-importance to, to new heights um, previously, you know, un, unmatched by most of our earlier presidents. Um, and so, therefore, the the gap between the the fantasy and the reality ends up being even greater than it than it typically is. Um, there's always some gap, but in his case, it's a it's a yawning chasm. Um, no, I think we're gonna as we've discussed before that the the fundamental problem here is that it doesn't seem to matter to any Americans. Um, the that yawning chasm seems to be of no interest to most Americans. It doesn't seem to have any impact on his popularity. Then again, um, to my own, to my astonishment, thus far the you know convictions and indictments and guilty pleas of virtually everybody associated with him also seems to have, be having no further impact on his popularity. So there is a great mystery at the heart of this, which is you know if a foreign policy falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, you know. Does it matter that that I think? And at the end of your remarks, David, you know, you suggested um, in the long run it does matter. It may not. It may not affect Trump's popularity. It may not make a single ripple in in sort of American uh, political discourse. But in the long run, in terms of the ways in which it contributes to reshaping the world, 
in a manner that will not be good for us five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. Uh, you know, that that's, I think, the the tragedy of it all. Well, you know, David, one of the things, though, that may be true, just picking up on what, what Rosa was saying, was that this may actually have some consequences in the short run. And Kim Jong-un and um, uh, Justin Trudeau and uh, uh, the Iranians and the Russians and others know it. And that is, there's an election coming. And we've got this 24-hour day news cycle driven by social media. And it's clear from the last election that we are, our emotions are kind of manipulable. And all of these things are in a critical stage as we approach the election. You know, if Justin Trudeau just drags his feet a little bit, doesn't meet this imposed Friday deadline on this NAFTA thing, and says, why don't we talk about it in January? And the Democrats control the House. It's a whole different picture because they're not going to necessarily go with Trump's revamp of NAFTA. If Kim Jong-un wants maximum pressure on Trump, all he has to do is a missile test in the middle of October. Right. And the next. And the, yeah, and but the, my guess is he doesn't, David. And the reason the reason for that is that the threat of doing the test is almost more powerful to him than actually doing it. First of all, you don't know that right. test is going to turn out. But the, the fact of the matter is that to the faithful to President Trump, um, North Korea has already been defanged. NAFTA has already been busted up. We're out of the Paris Accord. The Iran deal is gone. In other words, the president made good on the things he campaigned on. And on a few of them, Paris Accord and breaking up the Iran deal, that's a legitimate argument that, in fact, he has made good on it. But in the ones that actually require the participation of allies, adversaries, and others, where it's not completely in Donald Trump's um, control, the, the advantage goes to whoever can drag their feet and maintain the status quo. So Kim Jong-un's got exactly what he needs right now, which is to say, the Chinese have begun to lift sanctions. They're not enforcing them anywhere near as much as they were. And the Chinese just want to make sure that Donald Trump doesn't bomb Pyongyang and uh, and disrupt the, the current status quo. And he's basically won that at this point. Um, on NAFTA, as you suggest, the best strategy right now is say, yeah, 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 let's just see how this turns out and wait it out a bit. Not simply because there might be a Democratic House, but because it's entirely possible that for other reasons, these deals will fall apart. And that's what happens when the president treats these deals the way he would treat real estate transactions, which is to say, if you got out and announce it as a done deal, you got points right away. And it right. doesn't work in international relations. Wait, wait a second. You mean there's not going to be a wall but Mexico that they're going to pay for? Well, I don't want to break this to you, David, but... Um, uh, I don't think that let's put it this way. When there is a wall, I think that we should one of our new deep state network um, vows is that if there is actual new wall, not just reconstruction of things that are there and that it's substantial, I think we should do a deep state uh, broadcast from the top of the wall. What do you think? I, I, it is a 100 percent commitment. OK, <laughs> It is. It is one hundred. We will build a studio on top of the wall, because, <laughs> because, because, because that that ain't that ain't gonna happen. 
But Evelyn, when you look at this and you see the, the you know, I, I don't know if you remember, uh, you know, we often will, when particularly when Corey's on, we'll end up quoting, you know, Clausewitz or something. Uh, and I want to show that I'm kind of kind of literary uh, by by quoting a similar source, and that is Seinfeld. But <laughs> I don't I don't know if you recall that. I am the, from New York, but you know, keep going. Well, you know the Seinfeld episode where they talk about hand. Who has upper hand? You know, who has the hand? Oh well, yeah. Right, Kim Jong Un has hand here, and oh, yeah. and and I think the message is. Here's how to get a hand over Trump. And, you know, the, the Iranians can play this game um, because, well, David's right. You know, some people might say, well, yeah, he got us out of these deals. The, the, there is kind of an implicit step after getting out of the Iran deal, which is to make things better. And, and in some way, not just to get oh, out. Well, you're really making this complicated, David. Yeah, right. Well, but I'm, you know, you could make things better in a lot of ways. John Bolton would say you make it better by turning Iran into a parking lot. Other people might say you want to improve upon the deal. But the point is, Trump is laying out a formula. Here's how to deal with me. Um, and, and a lot of bad players in the world are saying this is the way to get hand. Well, I mean, I think, yes, if you... If you think that the facts on the ground are on your side, then you can play into Trump's game by pretending that he's winning, right? And you and you continue going along with the facts as they are. I think the difference with Iran is that they, the facts on the ground are not necessarily on their side. They've got a lot of economic pressure and domestic pressure because of the economic pressure internally. And so... It's, it's harder for them to kind of pretend with Trump that everything's okay. And politi so politically, it's just harder for them. They, the Chinese, of course, are just like the Russians and the North Koreans playing that, let's pretend we're getting along with President Trump and President Trump can change everything and help us again because the facts on the ground so far are, have been okay for them, bearable for them. But I think, I, I think that only goes so far. So for the North Koreans, for them, it's more important that Trump does nothing new. And so therefore, they will try to flatter and try to extend the timeline so that they can continue doing what they're doing, which is just to bolster their position militarily and otherwise and erode the sanctions. But... For the other countries, if they want something from the U.S., if they want the reality on the ground to change, they can't just flatter Trump. They can't just pretend the reality is going to change. And that's and that's the that's the difference, I think. And I'm I'm not sure whether my my words are explaining that properly, but the Iranians they need they need to have the sanctions lifted. They need to have economic trade. They need to be able to sell their oil. And right now, what Trump's done has made that more difficult. You know, you've seen European companies pull out of Iran under because of U.S. pressure. And again, as I mentioned earlier, there's domestic pressure inside of Iran. The Chinese, for now, are playing the game with Trump 
But if the if the tariffs start to really bite, they won't be able to maintain the same approach. So I, I, it's, it's a very odd game that all of these countries are playing where they are trying one approach with our president and another with the government, with our government. And, and I agree, they are looking to see what happens with the elections. I am most interested in seeing our allies holding, holding strong, holding the fort. You know, you mentioned Canada earlier. Um, President Macron was somebody who came up very strongly with a nice statement about the passing of Senator McCain. You know, we need these allies to stay strong. I think we've talked before on the podcast about this, about how long can the allies hold out um, so that we end up coming in with a stronger, better policy and joining them again in the international community that protects international institutions and rule of law, liberal democracy, et cetera. So I, I, I find it very unsettling and it's even hard to describe exactly what countries are doing, but I'll, I'll leave it at that and let others who are cleverer and don't have cough syrup on, in their brain to continue the conversation. I think that rules out Rosa because she usually has cough syrup in her brain. Um, uh, <laughs> this is so true. You know, because it's like the breakfast of champions. But um, we do maple syrup up here. Oh, do, is that what does it? Yeah. Um, does, does <laughs> sugar eye. Does maple syrup ferment? Of course. Yeah, I assume it does. What do they turn it into something? Uh, Turn it into many, many things. Anything that ferments in in Vermont gets turned into something. Starting with apple cider. Oh yeah, that's a. Yeah. That's. A good I don't recommend any products other than maple syrup and maple sugar candy that are made with maple syrup, though they're disgusting. I can tell you from bitter experience <laughs> that maple tea, for instance, is gross. There are well, you know, like in Quebec. There always there's the there's the summer favorite in Vermont of maple creamies. Which is a, an ice cream, right? Yeah, well, oh, God. You know, I'm just going to not go where I was going with this. I, I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, just Even without Corey on this episode, I'm just not going to go there. But, but let's just say that it is through the manipulation of Trump into premature... Don't go there. ...word I'm looking for expressions of success that these people gain their way with him. Um, and, you know, Rosa, this is kind of like the weaponization of Donald Trump's ego. <laughs> you know, it's like, but it's not, not working on our behalf. It's all these other countries are able it's to go. It's mostly working on behalf of Putin, you know, <laughs> the North Koreans. <laughs> No, it's like they've planted a bomb in the White House in the form of Donald Trump's ego. And if you just manipulate it the right way, you know, you 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 can end up producing almost any outcome you want. Well, I, I'm not sure about that. I, I think Trump is an, an unguided missile um, and uh, the results will be mixed for those who attempt to make use of him as well. But 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 I do think that he is he is the equivalent of a bomb in the White House. But but I think what you are getting at, David, is that 18 months in after first fearing just the the eruptions and the unpredictability 
other leaders are beginning to do what they do in all cases, which is they're figuring out how to play him. And, you know, so the Chinese did not roll right over on the tariffs. And the North Koreans have, you know, raced right back uh, after Trump pulled out of the uh, Singapore summit to get it back back on. But this time, when they've canceled Pompeo's visit, unless there's something happening, which is entirely possible, that we aren't seeing, we're not seeing the North Koreans race back to change their tune either. So what you're learning here is that you can play some of these cards only once and uh, that what worked for the president in his first year may not work in the second. Well, and also another thing, you know, there's a practical consequence, which is what do we, as we look towards the election, what's the good news that can affect the election? What's the bad news that can affect the election? Looks like there's not going to be good news on North Korea anytime before the election. There's a possibility there might be some on this NAFTA thing, although it would be very, very premature, but it's not in anybody's interest. On Iran, there's not going to be a positive breakthrough. doesn't seem like that's going to happen with Israel and the Palestinians. Is there any place? No. I mean, I think short of something on the scale of, of the 9-11 attacks, there is no news that is going to shape the election, that the things that are going to shape this election uh, are going to be um, on the on the negative side, the degree of success of uh, voter suppression efforts, and on the positive side, the degree to which uh, uh, the Democrats are able to mobilize people to actually get out there and vote. And the president, but I don't think the, the news has anything to do with it. Yeah, the president's theory is a good economy will override right. all of that. So the, the and that that is though not to be taken for granted, given this game of chicken on the on the tariff front well the game of chicken on the tariff front the fact that interest rates are going to go up a little the fact that there are other threats to the global economy out there including real estate bubble in china the fact that trees don't go to the sky and 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 that you know we are in the ninth year of recovery and that it's sooner or later things slow down the fact that housing start uh, housing purchases and others seem to be slowing down a little bit the question actually i don't think there's a question about whether the economy slows down i think the question is whether there are signs of it before the election or after the election uh, but i don't think it makes any difference i think i think a crash influences a, 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 a crash on the scale of a decade ago can influence people's voting behavior but but the Marginal changes we're likely to see in the next few months are going to make no difference whatsoever. And you know um, we're in August already with the lowest unemployment around, and there's not going to seems unlikely there would be economic impact. And you see what the administration's already doing. They are, uh, you know, paying out money to farmers to make up for yeah, yeah. what they're losing because of the tariffs. So, so but I think this election is about turnout, turnout, turnout. And it's the only thing it's about. Well, but the, yeah, I think that's you know the. the it's true. I guess the only other big X factor out there is Mueller investigation and so forth. But we saw, you know, in the in one week we saw the Cohen revelations that actually implicated the president in a couple of campaign felonies and the Manafort um, uh, conviction, and it didn't seem to have any effect on the rating of the president of the United States. No, I, I think I mean, and, and there are obviously are some much more statistically sophisticated um, essays out there saying essentially what I'm about to say in, in simplistic terms, but you know there aren't a lot of people who haven't made up their mind about Donald Trump in this country. And people tend to have extremely strong views 
um, that are, they're not likely to change. There's nothing that's going to change them. You know, that if you are a Democrat, you don't like Donald Trump and your views may be reinforced, which may have a marginal impact on your enthusiasm level in November, but are not going to fundamentally change your mind. If you're a Trump supporter and you're in that particular bubble, uh, dramatic new news either won't reach you in the first place or it will reach you, but will be spun in such a way as to suggest that it was all very unfair and not really true and so on. So, so I, I, I can't see... I can't see any of this making any particular difference. I think that for a long time, I, along with many others, had this fantasy of, well, you know, once people understand what a crook Trump is and how crooked it is, you know, then they will. And and, and that has proven to be uh, a false hope. (laughs) It doesn't make any difference what happens. Right. I mean, people don't want to believe any. They just believe and, and facts have nothing to do with their view of Donald Trump. But I do think that the, this the Manafort trial, I mean, if it proceeds, as it appears it's going to on September 17th, um, this new trial will be interesting because this, this question of whether there was collusion, which, by the way, is the wrong word, it really should be, was there conspiracy, you know, will get closer to getting some answers. And so the president running around screaming there was no collusion might seem less tenable and less wise as some of the information comes out of that Manafort case. I would doubt the Manafort case is going to make that big a difference because it's mostly about what he did in representing Ukraine, which was during the Obama years. What could, though, is you basically had the president fundamentally accused under oath of participating in a major campaign violation with the uh, with the um, Michael Cohn plea uh, the other day, and the question is, does that stick? But uh, I'm not, I'm not sure it changes everything quite as dramatically as we thought, maybe even a week ago. Well, I, you know, I think that remains to be seen. Um, uh, obviously, if the 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 central premise of this is true, David, you can stay in Vermont. Evelyn, you can stay in Panama, and uh, although I wouldn't recommend it, and Rosa, you can leave Alexandria because nothing is going to happen in the next couple of months is going to make any difference. The Dems are going to win 20 to 40 seats. They'll take over the House. Then there'll be some investigations. That'll be real interesting. If you haven't seen that list of the things the Republicans think the Democrats will investigate, when you read it, remember that Adam Schiff said it's too short. Um, But uh, it it does seem like uh, the game will change after November, uh, and that's something to look forward to. Something else to look forward to, of course, is that after Labor Day, we'll be back at Deep State Radio, and we will be back uh, the week after uh, with all the new uh, uh, things that we're starting to introduce as part of Deep State Radio Network. And if you want to have the opportunity to get a Deep State Radio Network membership which will get you new content and swag and opportunity to attend Deep State Radio live events, in which we will announce next week, but they're pretty cool. Um, then, you know, send us an email. And when you send us an email, we'll send you the chance to get a discount. That way, those of you who are insiders and upfront will have an opportunity to um, get in for a little bit less money. And we'd love that. And we'd love to start with. With the core group of you uh, on board right from the outset. So 
Go to deepstateradionetwork.com, sign up. Uh, we'll be in touch with you very shortly. In the meantime, have a great Labor Day weekend. Um, uh, enjoy yourselves. We'll be back next Tuesday in the middle of the day and Thursday as usual and as special events require. In the meantime, David, please enjoy Vermont. Evelyn, have a safe trip back to the U.S. Rosa, um, enjoy uh, the D.C. area um, and it, at maximum humidity. Um, <laughs> Thank you, David. Yeah, it's really pretty awful there. And um, and we'll, we'll all be back together again next week. So bye-bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.